This is Cam from the Nerdbook Review, and tonight we are going to be bringing you an episode with Casey. We are going to be reviewing Kings of the Wild by Nicholas Eames. It is his debut novel. We're going to get into the book review here in just a moment, but I have to give you the usual spiel. You can find us on Facebook at the page Nerdbook Review, on Twitter with the handle Nerdbook Review, on Gmail at nerdbookreview at gmail.com. Just as usual, Nerdbook Review, if you Google that, you're going to find us. Um, and as usual, I would like to ask if you would be so kind, if you enjoy this program, to rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you happen to listen to us. All right, we'll get right to it and hope you have a good evening. Hello, this is Cameron, and today we have Casey with us. Casey, how are you today? Uh, I'm good, full of breakfast. We just had breakfast, so I'm ready for a nap. Yeah, I know it took us <laughs> it took us a few tries, but we managed to get ourselves breakfast. Uh, the place that we used to go all the time doesn't do brunch anymore, and they didn't have champagne either, so I couldn't get my mimosas, so we weren't going to deal with that. So, Casey, what are we going to be doing today? So, we're going to be reviewing Kings of the Wild by Nicholas Eames. It is his first book. It is 502 pages long, published by Orbit Books, and it is obviously the first book in the band series since it's his first novel. It was published this year, and it is on a ton best of lists for like fantasy novels of the year and debut novel of the year. Okay, so for the Goodreads blurb, Clay Cooper and his band were once the best of the best, the meanest, dirtiest, most feared crew of mercenaries this side of the heart wild. Their glory days long past, the mercs have grown apart and grown old, fat, drunk, or a combination of the three. There's an ex-bandmate turns up at Clay's door with a plea for help. His daughter Rose is trapped in a city besieged by an enemy 100,000 strong and hungry for blood. Rescuing Rose is the kind of mission that only the very brave of the very stupid would sign up for. It's time to get that band back together for one last tour across the wild. <laughs> and just to mention, wild is spelled with a Y. If, yes. In case you're looking the book up. So Kings of the Wild with a Y. All right, my quick take. The book reminds me of a Forgotten Realms Dungeons & Dragons based book, only awesome. An old mercenary band gets back together for one last gig and craziness ensues. What do you think about that, Casey? The band. I, I don't know about Forgotten Realms D&D books. Because, you know, I'm, I'd label myself as a nerd, but probably not quite hardcore as Cameron. Oh, yeah. Uh, so what were my thoughts on the band? Take out the Forgotten Realms part of what I'm talking about. But the uh, an old mercenary band gets back together for one last gig and craziness ensues. What I was trying to, to lead into uh, ridiculously. So was that the in this world mercenary bands that we're not we're not looking like black company like like a uh, you know an actual army they're usually like five or six people and sometimes even just one front man who has like who's a band type leader who has a, a backup singers that maybe they just hire every once in a while even you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> they do keep playing on the whole the band thing, getting the band back together, I mean, which is sort of this, you know, cultural thing that exists in, in our day about people literally getting a band back together or their friends getting back together. 
Yeah, and and in in this sense, I I think in almost every band they mention, there's a leader, and so I guess in a sense, yeah, he's he's a singer. The other guys are guitar players and drummers or something. If you want to keep going, yeah, going along that line, yeah. This is where I guess Casey doesn't have the uh, the Dungeons and Dragons background, but yeah, so they'll have like thank one, God. <laughs> so they'll have one person who will fill the role, like you said, of like the guitarist. In this case, um, he's also a warrior. As if you're thinking of a class, then the lead singer is usually like the charismatic warrior. You know, then you'll have a rogue. Most bands have a rogue, someone who's a thief, and yeah, he will fight with like daggers. Then you have your wizard, and then most bands also always have a bard that goes with them because someone's got to tell the tale of, of the awesomeness that w- that you did at, while you're out there. Right, which is uh, a good starting point about the humor in the book. I thought one of the kind of funny things, uh, a theme throughout the whole book, was that anytime they had a bard, um, it would die. So they <laughs> would go, you know, out on these scouting missions, or they'd going go into this huge wooded area called the the Heartwild. And they would fight monsters, and the bard just always died. And actually, kind of later into the book, they, they're they trying to relax before, I think, a big fight. And one of the ways they do it is they're uh, recounting times and ways that different of their bards uh, perished. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty... This book doesn't take itself too seriously. I know that's like the second time I've, I've said that here for uh, a, book that, a book review that we're going to do, but... It really does remind me of a humorous Dungeons and Dragons book done well, instead of being like something that a lot of those Forgotten Realms books, they would put out like multiples a year. You could tell they were just putting out a form book, basically, you know. Um, I love to read them when I was younger, but I mean, there was like probably like 30 or 40 of the books, you know. Yeah, I were... know. You never shut up about them. It was, it was great. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was my first little introduction into that kind of stuff back then. Let's get into, I guess, get a a little bit of a description of it so we're not just throwing out random things that make no sense. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So it's a made-up world. There's a map at the beginning of the book. It's pretty easy to follow. There aren't too many places to worry about, and the journey they take is, you know, it's basically going east to west. There's things that happen in the between, but that's their general thing, huh? Yeah, I was just thinking about maps, um, and... You know, I've heard on different podcasts where they talk about uh, certain illustrators doing really nice renditions of maps. And I guess I don't care whatsoever about maps. Like, I usually won't even look at them. The mm-hmm. way I figure it is if I'm reading the story and I can't figure out kind of where they're going by the story itself, then uh, there's bigger problems than flipping back and looking at a map. Yeah, actually, I mean, if you want to think of it that way, Katie loves maps, you know, so we always talk about that, and I'm I'm in between. I think that if I have some idea of where things are, and I can look at the map once or twice, for the most part, then I'm happy about that. This one, I mean, the world is basically split into two. There's the, like, the two, into two human regions. There's a western and an eastern human region, and then a big evil angry forest in between and what is that it's like a thousand miles across or something something like that yeah yeah it's huge and it's where all of the every dungeons and dragons fantasy creature that you can ever possibly think of is there there's their orcs the kobolds the dragons the wyverns there's uh 
goblins. I mean, it's literally anything that you could possibly think of. It's things he obviously made up himself, I think. Yeah, probably. Our band is called Saga. They're 20 years past their prime. They haven't been a, a, an actual functioning touring band for for about 20 years, right? They yeah. they but for that for about 10 or so years, they were literally the best maybe ever. Um, and as I said, they're called Saga. The the members are Clay, who I think Shield Bearer was his like official thing. He had a a shield that was almost indestructible that he had carved off of a tree ant. Blackheart. Blackheart was the shield's name. Yeah, he carved it out of the biggest, meanest tree ant that was besieging some some place, and he'd been hired to to kill it. And so he carved a, a shield out of it. That's his baby. He carries throughout the whole the whole book. Yep. And in fact, one of the funny things that will happen to him is they will get robbed repeatedly by this lady named Jane and her merry band, but they'll never steal Blackheart because that belongs to Clay Slowhands Cooper. Like that's his thing. Everyone knows that. It's kind of funny too. They get they get robbed repeatedly by this band of women. Yes, they're very polite though for their, for being robbers. The book would be considered high fantasy, obviously. I mean, right? I think yep. so. There's plenty of magic involved. As we said, I guess we should get to the next character, uh, Moog. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, that's how I pronounced it. Yep, and he is a wizard. He is your typical eccentric wizard who does all kinds of random crazy things. The last 20 years, he's been trying to find a cure for something called the rot, which is something that infects a lot of people who go into the wild. It actually killed his husband, and when the book starts, Moog has the rot as well. He's pretty happy to join up the band and have one last crazy adventure because he thinks he's going to die. Yeah, and he's he serves as quite a bit as a comic relief because they'll be in these really tense situations with you know mini bosses or final bosses. You know, if they wave, he'll wave back like excitedly, like he's <laughs> kind of a little kid, even though the you know the situation dictates some more seriousness. I, th- I think you already mentioned like his yeah the way he funds uh, his research oh, into yeah. the rot <laughs> is um, through basically making a old timey kind of a Viagra yes and his his weapons of choice tend to be like uh, little bombs uh, what? One, one time in in the big battle he he had a little stick and he like kind of hit a guy on the head and said something that sounded magical. It was just to distract the guy, and then one of his bandmates killed him. Yes, and he's like, well, what was that all about? He said, oh, I just threw a stick at the guy. Yeah. But he does actually have a magical staff, though, that <laughs> will, uh, th- and it's hilarious. It, the staff actually turns into, like, you know, can move. And But the problem with the staff is, is that once it gets into a rage, until you manage to calm it down, it'll attack anything. So he manages to kill this thing fighting them and then this but then are two things fighting them and then the staff turns on him and he has to like choke it out before it'll stop attacking him so there's just this like blitzkrieg of war going all around him you know they're fighting these crazy monsters and he's over there getting his ass handed to him by his staff that he had (laughs) enchanted to fight some orcs off i think it was Yes, and so then our next character in the band is Matrick. He was their rogue character. He fights with two uh, mythical daggers that are that are named, and but he for the last twenty years has been a king of the big uh, human kingdom, 
and he's agria ag- yeah that's what i uh, agria is what i called it yeah and he's gotten himself fat and out of shape at this point he basically just drinks and eats he's kind of funny too because even though he's the king he actually married the princess whose hu- whose dad was the king that didn't have any other like any male descendants and when we first meet him they're having dinner with his wife who announces that she's pregnant clearly not his and then they the, the clay the narrator describes the five children that are sitting around the table and they're clearly not matrix either so no they're obviously bastards i yes. mean completely disparate uh, genetics going on in that mix and none of them look like him yes so. and i mean they're very obviously not his and then we're gonna go to gabriel who actually starts this whole thing off he was the front man like the lead singer and he is a man who's basically down on his luck at this point. He comes in looking like a beggar into Clay's house when he convinces him to go on this journey. And his daughter, Rose, is also a mercenary now. And she has been trapped in a town that is being... Castria. Castria. That is being overwhelmed by a giant horde of like 100,000 of basically every bad thing you could think of. So that's what they're trying to do is get to to help her out. Of course, they don't know how they're going to help her out at the, you know, in the start. They're, I mean, five guys who are way past their prime. Except for one guy's not past his prime, and his name is Ganelon. How did you say his name? Ganelon. Ganelon, yep. And he, 20 years before, kind of what really broke the band up, if you will, uh, a prince raped the girl that he was dating, so he killed the prince and a whole bunch of people around him. They, they used a basilisk to turn to stone, and they managed to get him unturned from stone. That's a minor spoiler, if you will, but obviously it happens pretty immediately, so we clearly know that if the band is getting back together, that it's got to happen. And so he hasn't aged in 20 years, and he was considered maybe the greatest warrior of all time. He is like a barbarian, would be his classification in Dungeons & Dragons. He's big. He's he fights with an enchanted uh, axe that mutters incomprehensible things to him the entire time he's fighting, and kind of shows. Uh, it's also serves as kind of a window into a different world. Well, no, the Gabriel's sword is the one that shows a um, oh, yeah. a window. Sorry, Velicor. Yeah, we forgot to say. So the, the, they have enchanted weapons. You know, like kind of like what the whole thing was is these bands went into this into the wild twenty years ago and prior. They killed things that were threatening humankind and then they got cool loot like you that's kind of you know just like you do in dungeons and dragons when you're playing the board game like the whole thing is trying to get better armor and better weapons and clay has his shield matrick has his daggers ganelon has his axe two-headed axe two-headed axe moog doesn't really have anything um except for in this book he gets a hat that you can uh just take stuff uh, out of i mean like food yeah they they take a bunch of food out like when they at one point they get captured by uh, cannibals who offer them uh an assortment of hands to eat and instead of that uh moog pulls a bunch of food out of his hat and they eat you know regular food i guess yes so the main bad guy is a creature called a druin they were before humankind um was when they were basically still just all barbarians living in the hills the Druins ruled things. They came from another plane, and that's where Gabriel got his sword. It was actually the sword that they used to go to the, the new plane. It's like the most powerful sword in the world, basically. At this point, no one's going into the wild anymore. They got tired of getting rot. And basically, everyone just tours these giant arenas like bands do, and they're just killing 
creatures that have been raised specifically to be fought in the arenas for the most part. And that's kind of where the like moral gray ground for the most part would come into play in this book is that Clay and the band, they kind of feel a little bit guilty about how things are going now. Like, I mean, these creatures were, most of them are sentient creatures. They're not just mindless monsters. And they're just being raised in underground to just to be fought and killed. Well, I think that's part of it. But the other part is just an issue of pride. You know, every generation, the, the generation before or a couple previous, they always say, like, you guys have it so much better than we had it or things were so much harder when we used to do it. Uphill and snow both ways, that kind of thing. And so I think Clay and Gabe and his whole band feel like what they did was was the real deal. They went out into the wild. You know, they took commissions. Uh, they went out and killed stuff, and it was hard, and it was a dirty life. And they did some things they weren't always proud of, but it seems like they, they think these other guys are kind of just pretenders because they just, like Cameron was saying, they travel around to different arenas, and... Uh, they fight things in a band and they know they can kill them. So I understand what you're saying. Yeah. That like before what they did, they had a real chance of getting killed. I mean, the rock could take anybody, you know, and, but yeah, they kind of consider all of these guys just to be divas though. I mean, they run into a band who's like considered like the greatest rock band or, or screaming Mer- Eagles, the screaming Eagles and the screaming Eagles are like, who are you guys? And, like, you guys clearly aren't anything, and you weren't important. And they're like, well, you guys just fight in an arena. You're clearly not. You're just divas, you know? And they keep calling them the Screeching Eagles. They get into a fight because of that, and it <laughs> causes all kinds of mayhem. And so it's a pretty funny story. But I think one of the the thing I, I like the most about the book and, and, like, the way it's told, though, is is that it doesn't take itself seriously. There's lots of jokes. Lots of things are said. I li- I love it when he uses the term too soon. Once when they're talking. (laughs) He makes a joke and he's like, too too soon? Too soon. Anyway, so there's lots of like funny little things like that 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 just made me laugh a lot. Oh, the the thing that I thought was probably the funniest is they're basically like hiding behind a rock um, as some giants are walking by. And two of these giants start talking about the difference between saying literally and figuratively. It was funny because it was just not the sort of thing you would think a couple of giants walking around, you know, that would smash you to smithereens, would be talking about the difference, you know, some of the finer points of uh, English grammar. He's Yeah, he's, he's like, like oh. I literally froze my balls off. And, and the guy's a, like, you no. literally froze them off or you figuratively froze yeah, them off? Yeah, and he's off? like, oh, oh, well, well, what do you mean? It, it, well, if you literally froze your balls off, they would have fallen off your body. So you figured it. And he's like, oh, I've been using literally and figuratively wrong this entire time. Yeah. Anyways, it's it's really hilarious. But yeah, there's things that you wouldn't expect. The best parts of the book was all of the uh, the fauna of this world that they encountered. Yeah, they really described a lot of stuff. I mean, there's, I mean, hundreds of different creatures are actually talked about in it. You know, that's something that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Okay, so we've told you about the bands, their purpose. They get back together and they're trying to to go save his uh, his daughter. Obviously, we can't get too much more into the storyline than that. As we said, it's it's pretty funny. Uh, so let's go ahead and start talking about whether we enjoyed the book or not. Casey, what did you think of the book? Well, it's hard to say because I'm still kind of split on it. That's sort of an, an escapist kind of beach novel book. I, I think it works fine. 
has quite a bit going on. I mean, it's, it's fairly action-packed. It's a bit of a, a page-turner. It's written uh, very clearly. I don't recall like having to go back and reread really anything. It's written very clearly, straightforward, linear novel, which I like. I, I tend to get a little, a little annoyed with the, the flashback sequences in some books. Although I found myself missing it in this one. Did you really? Yeah, I wanted to know more history about all the band members. Oh, I see what you're saying. And I think uh, a flashback uh, sequences for them, at least as sort of a, um, as an introduction to who they are instead of just uh, dropping in sort of in media res. Yeah, actually, that's something I never really thought about. I think that most of the time, like the stories will be told about them are told in like a bar or something. And it's like, oh man, did you hear about this story? And they'd be like, oh no, it was cr- like, it really was crazier. What really happened type of things. But yeah, there's no flashback scenes. I guess I never even contemplated that. Yeah. And so in that sense, it fe- it read to me like it was a sequel. Mm-hmm. And in the first book, uh, we got some background. Uh, we... Maybe even some training uh, scenes, like how these guys became so so efficient and deadly mm-hmm. and so good. And then that way we kind of, yeah, it feels like we're supposed to know things, or at least I felt like I was supposed to know things that I just didn't about these guys. And sort of that I was supposed to care about them, but I didn't feel that way. Like, I didn't really care if they lived or died. And that another troubling aspect of the book for me was, was that... I never felt there was like any sort of imminent danger or real threat to them. Even when they're fighting some, some crazy monsters and stuff, there was just always this expectation from, you know, from the first of the book on is that they're going to pull through and they're going to be fine. And I guess I kind of like books, maybe a little more like Martin Mm -hmm. where, you know, some of your darlings end up dying. Yeah. And I can see where that, would be like an issue that you could that, that people would have with the book. For me, I just loved the book so much and had such a good time reading it. Like I, I kind of knew that they were probably that you know that things were going to go the way they were going to go. But at the same time, I think that for me, this was like sitting around a campfire listening to drunken stories of how cool things were. You know, I don't know. If I got had that nostalgia, and you can tell that Nick Eames has that he uh, he loved like 80s bands and things like that. I think he well he, I think he he his inspiration behind the book was Dungeons and Dragons and 80s rock bands. And so you could tell like that that that, that was the thing. I mean it was kind of like you could imagine sitting in like a behind the behind the music <laughs> in MTV, you know. VH1. V, oh, is that VH sorry. VH1 behind the music where they we're just telling the crazy stories about the things that happened back in the eighties, you know? Yeah. Or how somebody spent, you know, $300 million in two years. So, yeah. So I, I totally see like where Casey's coming from of like where the things can seem if the suspense wasn't there for you. Whereas with me, I just didn't care that the suspense wasn't there or it was still suspenseful to me. Like just, I guess for me, it was just like watching a blockbuster movie. I'm not going to say that this book for me made me feel any sort of like, like moral thing. <laughs> well, no, I, I laughed out loud like 15 times while I was reading this book. I mean, it just made me laugh while I was reading it. And so I, I think that, I mean, a book that can do that for me, you know, I just had such a good time with it. I guess that makes sense. 
One of, one of the other things I kept thinking about, though, is is what is Eames's aim? That's a bit of a tongue twister. Like, is the aim just to make, you know, and I don't mean just in a derogatory sense, but is it just to make an entertaining book where it is funny and you have fighting and you have all of these fantasy elements, which it sounds like are, are things that, you know, he likes and obviously they are things that we like as well. But was this book written to be entertaining? Because I get that. Like, it is entertaining, especially in certain spots. But I guess for me, even some of the other books we that we've reviewed, um, they seem to at least ponder or bring up some deeper questions, some ambiguity, moral indignation or something. And anything like that for me in this book beyond sort of like a book about friendship, it all fell flat. Like I just, I didn't find myself wrestling with any questions or wondering if the things they were doing were wrong or right or anything. It just seemed very sketched out. And so for these guys to get to Rose and Castia, they would have to walk through the Heartwild, which in and of itself, because of all the monsters and everything, would, um, would be suicide in a sense, and people would tell them that they're crazy for even thinking about it. And then all of a sudden, there are airships, and you know those are fraught with their own danger. But when I read about the airships like coming overhead or finding out about them, my first thought was like, "Oh, do a do us ex machina, like a god from the machine just appeared in the novel." Yeah. And I was like, "Ugh," you know. I understand the setup and the obstacle and how hard it was supposed to be. I mean, that's always kind of a part of the journey is the difficulty. And then to introduce something like basically kind of like a faster hot air balloon was the way I pictured it in my head. Um, I don't know. I felt kind of disappointed by that. Okay. And yeah. And I, and I, I totally understand what you're saying there, I guess is how I should say that because I, I think that I was just so like entertained by this book that I just completely didn't care about like the flaws or the clear. I mean, that's clearly a crutch that, I mean, for one thing we find, I mean, this horde is like a hundred thousand strong and there's only like 30,000 total people inside Castia left alive. And like only like 4,000 of them are soldiers. The, and they're weak and emaciated. and Yeah, and the city walls are basically, like, they have their own magical defenses, so that's kind of basically all that's really keeping them out. And you know that if they don't have some sort of help, that they're never going to make it in time. I mean, there's no way that the, that the band would be able to make it. It would take months, they say, you know, to make it across the Heartwild. That doesn't include all the monsters and things they're going to have to fight. So you know that something's going to have to happen for them to make it there. For me, this book was just about entertainment. And I don't know if maybe it's because I've been reading a lot of really dark and disturbing books. I just got done actually reading a book before this um, by uh, Richard Nell called Kings of Paradise that starts off with the main one of the three point of view characters eating a child so he doesn't starve to death. And so that's just that was just such a dark book that like I thought the book was extremely well written. But do, it was. Do you still call it Veal? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, you got <laughs> veal for lamb and for calves, huh? Sure. 
But maybe I just got done reading something so dark that what I needed was an inter- a purely entertaining story. Because Kings of Paradise, I thought, was an extremely well-written book, but I just had a hard time with how dark it was. And maybe because this was my next book, I was just like, oh, this is just so much fun that who knows, maybe I wouldn't have thought it was quite as, mu- as awesome if I hadn't gone from that to this. But for me, I think the last book I read that I had as much just pure entertaining entertainment factor from reading it was the um, Red Queen trilogy by Mark Lawrence. You know how much fun Jalen was as a main character? And I, I just thought that for me, this book is going to go, you know, in my top three for this year. Probably the most fun book I've read. Um, then I have, you know, like The Woven Ring from M.D. Presley and then Red Sister by Mark Lawrence. Like those, this is in my top three favorite books I've read this year. And who knows, maybe, maybe my, you know, like I said, maybe having read such a dark book before that played a role in that. I just took it as a fun book. I think friendship may have been the big thing that this was all about. Like, Clay would have been way better off not going on this journey. I mean, he had a, a super hot wife <laughs> and a kid that he loved and a nice, safe job. But he goes and does this because his friend Gabriel needs help, you know, and he feels bad that he left Ganelon to to be made into a, a stone statue 20 years ago, you know? I mean, maybe that, that's the whole, maybe that's, the, you know, Eames' whole thing was. And I kind of thought maybe a little bit of it was, for me, too, the entertainment value is like you and Chris and Barry who come on and John, our friend, that just the, for me, it was like thinking about back to, it made me nostalgic to, to our, the crazy stuff we used to do, even though we're getting, you know, we're not quite middle-aged, but we're getting there now. Well, yeah, and we killed a lot of orcs together, so that those are the kind of bonds you just can't break. I mean, if by orcs you mean hams, then uh. yeah. I mean, we slayed thousands of hams in our day. You did. Sorry. Yeah, what was we, yours? The we beast? We other things. <laughs> uh, natural, natural light. Oh, okay. So, natty light. so, yeah. I don't know. I guess maybe just having, you know, not having a rock band, but having a crazy fraternity, you know, experience. Maybe that was part of it for me, too, is, is like, I would never want to be in those days today. I mean, I'm way past my point where I wish that I was out drinking all the time or doing crazy things. I love my, uh, my, job and my family and and all that stuff but it's fun to go back and think about that stuff sometimes you know and i think those are the the kind of thoughts and feelings that i got out of this book well that was a tad more sentimental than i was expecting (laughs) there you are but i understand it and you know just so i don't sound too pompous here like i like books that are pure adventure and page turning and are you know just just for entertainment really like there's not a whole lot maybe to else to glean out of them and you know I have no problem with that I read yeah. them usually as sort of a transition between something more like what you were talking about with the kind of a dark book or usually with me it's something like you know after reading some James Joyce or something then I want to read something where you know I'm not working so hard just to read mm-hmm. sort of yeah and so as far as like a transition book. Uh, for me, I think it, it works pretty well. Um, but as like kind of a standalone, uh, and I'm not coming off of something dense and uh, difficult, then I don't know. It uh, it lacks it lacks a bit of uh, things I'm looking for. Okay, and so yeah, and, and you know what? This is it's, it's fun to to talk about to be able to go through this, you know, and have our 
And uh, this is what the podcast is all about, is, is talking about our differences with what we thought about a book. Well, and, you know, all the crazy money you're making off of it. Oh, yeah. And the podcast groupies, insane. Yes. I mean, literally fighting them off left and right. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Paparazzi uh, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, the other day, I think Kay took at least like five or six pictures of me. With I mean, I'm sure it was because I was holding Brand and Brand was doing cute things. But but after a certain point, it's like, enough, guys. Enough. I'm, I'm just another guy. I'm yeah. just a human. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a real rock star. Not yet. Not yet. All right. Would you recommend it to other people then? Um, so I'm going to take a bit of a different tack on this one. Uh, Chris has his music corner, and I'm going to start my You Should Read This Instead corner. <laughs> so I would recommend reading Pierce Brown. Uh, he has a, they're definitely more science fiction based but he has a trilogy called the red rising trilogy which is also the name of the first book that is a kick in the pants like complete page turner all the way through i've never read anything as fast Mm -hmm. as that i mean they were great there actually was some some things to wrestle with like kind of a cast system but anyway um it is skewed a little bit younger maybe than this it's book. Def- it's a ya series i think well maybe. it depends on the library though does like, it yeah i mean or if you're talking about goodreads or anything else uh some libraries it is ya some others it isn't so if i'm looking for like an adventure and just a pure entertainment type of book uh personally i would look at those uh would i recommend okay. this to anybody Probably not. Okay. And on, I, th- I wrote down Hell's Yeah for mine. Yes, thinking, you did. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely, on the other hand, was completely entertained and just loved the story. I think that if you're just looking for a good time or... <laughs> Cameron's uh, a good time, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, if you're looking for a good time and you're not... You're not looking for Stone Sky, you know, and Jemison or something like that, uh, that level of morality, then... For me, this was just an entertaining story, and I love to read it. All right, Casey, I want—I am really interested to hear what your what you would rate this on a five-star rating. Then, probably a three and a half. That's higher. Not. I was expecting you to say like two and a half. No, like I didn't despise the book. It's just it's not anything I would look for again. Okay, for me, as I have probably made it pretty well known. Let me um, guess. Can I guess? Five stars. You got it. Yeah, for me, as I said, I'm putting this with Red Sister and Woven Rings for my favorite books of the year. And as I said, maybe it's because I just got off of reading such a dark book. For me, this was such just an entertaining read. I just had a good time the entire time. It's funny, Hazen's really looking forward to reading this too, you know? And so now I kind of want to see like whether he goes with you, with, with what you're thinking or with what I'm thinking, you know? Another one of our reviewers. And so... um. Let's real quick get into who the main audience and who should and shouldn't read it. This is probably meant for older teens and adults, from what I would think. I don't think this is a kid's book. No, it's not a kid's book. But like usual, I tend to skew younger than Cameron does. Yep. So I would say, pretty much like I usually say, uh, post or pubescent and onward is fine. Yep. I mean, there there's some... There's more swearing in here than yep. there was in, I think, the last book, The Lies of Lacamora. But there's, yeah, so there's probably more cussing. There's more, like, discussion of sex and things like that, probably. Definitely, the Liza Lachlamore really was tame on that front. Yeah, this, again, not graphically, but it does 
insinuate quite strongly that a couple of people are having sex at one point in the book. But otherwise, pretty tame in that area. Yeah. No, definitely no like rape scenes or anything like that. No. So this uh, Casey's going to go with his usual audience, and I'm going to say older teens. Casey, what are your parting thoughts? I don't know if I have any real parting thoughts for other people other than, I mean, all, obviously this always has to kind of come back to what you like and kind of what does it for you. And, you know, different strokes for different folks. I mean, Cameron rated this as five star and, you know, I, I think I'm being a, generous. a tad generous with three and a half. I don't think it's a bad book. I don't think you're going to like throw it away and get disgusted by it. But it does uh, make me think of something else to drag the podcast on longer than necessary. Is I was talking to, um, well, let's just say I work with kids, and I was talking to one of my kids' parents, and we started talking about books, and she reads more of the like Nelson DeMille, maybe some Lee Childs, that kind of stuff, which is you know very action packed uh, page turner. And we started talking about putting books down and there's a pretty famous librarian she wrote a pretty influential book and anyway she said after years she developed a rule that while she was under the age of 50 she would read up into 50 pages and if the book wasn't doing it for her she'd put it down and then every year after she turned 50 she would read one less page okay and so i was thinking about that as i was reading this book and at 50 pages i had no no desire to put it down whatsoever. Like, I think it starts off really nice, you know, really kind of bucolic and, and very pretty and everything. And then, um, I don't know, for me, it just never really took off. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And for me, you know, I mean, I laughed. I literally laughed out loud. I lolled. I mean, 15 times while I was reading this book. If Katie had not been out of town... This week, she would have been irritated at me as I was constantly belly laughing on the couch next to her, you know? And so I just was that entertained. Yeah. And if I'm going to do, you should read this instead. If you want a funny book, uh, look look for The uh, Monkey Wrench Gang by Edward Albee. That's a funny book. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we can continue on our uh, You Should Read This Instead uh, series with Casey from now on. All right. Well, thank you guys very much. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right, I hope that you guys enjoyed the podcast tonight. As we get to uh, the end of the year, uh, next Sunday is Christmas Eve. So I will be putting out an episode probably a little bit late after getting done with uh, family Christmas stuff. And it will be the end of the year episode. It's just going to be our regular hosts along with one little special thing uh, telling us uh, what their favorite books of the year were whether that was uh, books that we read for the podcast or just ones they read on their own. And then we will bring in the new year with a book called The Three-Body Problem. It is a book by a Chinese author that has been translated into English. And that one's going to be a little bit special as well. It's going to include our first episode that will have four people, and uh, including someone who's never been on the podcast before. After that, I'm going to be starting up a bunch of book reviews slash interviews with uh, Spiffbo authors. That's self-published fantasy blog off. And if you're interested in that, you can go ahead and look that up uh, through Mark Lawrence's website. And uh, 
I'm really excited to uh, get some of these uh, interviews in with some of these authors. All right. Well, thank you very much. I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.